Okay, well, uh, hey, welcome back to another special holiday version of Harko Meets Humans. Um, today, I'm here with uh, my good friend, long-time musician buddy, um, asexual love partner, Bradley Craig. Hello, Bradley Craig. <laughs> Hello, Isaac McFarlane. Of the former guitar pop band Two Cartoons. Yeah. That I was also in. And on the opposite couch to both of us is... Super fan of the band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a good friend of mine, Josie Adams. Hello. Hello. Yes, uh, I am a super fan. And I also was a critic reporter at the same time that you two were tearing up Dunedin. Tearing up Dunedin. Yeah. Do you, did, you, did you ever feel like you were tearing up Dunedin, Brad? Tearing like, yeah. like crying. <laughs> 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 we were shredding it down there, uh, bro. No, well, yeah, no. there's some times. Definitely. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, and we're here to we, we, me and Benji didn't want to come into the studio the whole way over Christmas to do podcasts. Um, we wanted a bit of a break, so we thought we'd um we'd we'd, we'd record some special uh, story time editions. And the only idea I had was actually the uh, kind of what we call the London story of two cartoons, but two cartoons in general because we don't we've talked to a few friends about it, and some people know, and they seem to find it kind of weird and crazy. So we it's maybe, very, very weird and crazy. Yeah, yeah. So we, it's, but it seems very normal to us because we, we lived it. So uh, thank you for coming in, Josie. Josie's going to be the conduit I am. for I am. this story. I'm employing my age-old Dunedin interview skills. I love uh, it. Honed at the critic. Who are you voting for OUSA president? <laughs> <laughs> Here's a better question. Do you remember the name of any OUSA president's bread? Nah. Me either. Not a single one. No, Sorry. what was that one? Uh, Logan... Oh. Paul? No. I, wish, I wish it was Logan Paul. Was it Logan Paul? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. He was a lot like Logan Paul. <laughs> He's, remember he sat in that cage uh, to protest voluntary student membership and he like had to leave the cage because he needed to <laughs> take a shit? Oh, my God. <laughs> I think I do remember I that. I don't remember this, but this is great. Yeah, I do remember <laughs> so that, a, a kind of guy like that being in charge for a while and it being like, it was like, Brexit before Brexit. It was like Trump before Trump. <laughs> but it happened it was. in Dunedin. It was. Everything happens first in Dunedin. Do you know what yeah. happened first in Dunedin? Two cartoons. <laughs> Segway. Yes. That's good. right. That's, That's how you do right. it. That's, That's how it's done. <laughs> uh, so tell me about how you met. Uh, his name is David Teplitsky? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Who Mr. is he? David. Who is he? Let's start with that. Oh, we're going to jump right in there. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. that. Um, well, we met David Plitsky through our manager at the time, Scott Muir, who also ran Refuel Bar and managed the Chills and Moonlighted doing lecturing even at the university as well. He was kind of like a bit of a, a man about the Dunedin music scene, old Scott Muir. Yeah, and, and he, he co-managed us with a guy called Jason Schroeder yeah. as well, who was like a younger guy coming up and trying to do the same kind of things. But Scott was definitely the... Our, our path in mm. once once he was working with us. And obviously because he was managing the Chills and Martin, um, I think David basically said, I want to release the next Chills album. I'll make a record label to do it. Um, I've got lots of money to throw at it. Let's just do it. He was a huge Chills fan. Yeah. And for context of the time, Martin had, hadn't done, it was the period where he wasn't doing anything. He was maybe playing a few live shows I, here I, and there. I think he was like kind of just coming out of like a, I think a bit of what, a, what year was this? I think that was because of Fast. Like 2012-ish? No. Maybe more the, like 2011, I'd okay. say. 
No, no, no. Uh, this would have been. This happened in 2015. I'm pretty sure. What? No, sorry. No. 2012. <laughs> 2012. Yeah, 2012. That at the end of 2012 was when they started talking. Yeah. Yeah. End of 2012. End of 2012. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Dates don't really matter. Don't, dates don't matter. <laughs> and you went on tour with the Chills. Well, we've played a few. We we did some little like um. Like we played up at Going Global once, which was like a yeah. uh, a industry showcasey thing. And Scott was a really is a kind of guy who understands like industry management and kind of parlaying influence and stuff like that. So his good idea was that you should Martin should come up with you, and for your performance, he can play with you on one of your songs, and you can play um, Pink Frost with him, mm. which is like my. One of my favorite songs of all time. So I was like, yeah, that, that I'm was awesome. kind of surprised you're not wearing the Pink Frost t-shirt right now. Yeah, I know. You were, weren't you? I was. Yeah. He's not a real fan anymore. I'm not yeah, a real yeah, fan yeah. anymore. I haven't seen the documentary. But yeah, um, and we'd gotten, because Scott was like, he was Martin's guy. Like he was really by Martin's side through a, a long length of time and really helped him out. And then through the management and the music thing, once he started working with us, it was just a really easy relationship to um, forge with Martin and with Scott and everyone, yeah. And so when David, we kind of started getting talk of um, something happening with Martin and and the chills and Scott would mention there was something happening behind the scenes and that he we might be able to be involved in some level or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it was around the end of 2012 that those conversations started happening. What were the conversations? What did you think was going to happen? We were told, and, and, and it, it pretty much did happen, that there was um, a record label being set up to release new music by the Chills and they're going to sign some other artists as well. And we were kind of right place, right time, right manager. Yeah. Um, and I assume that Scott was like, hey, I'm managing these guys as well. Um, you check them out. They'd be a really cool fit. They're like kind of the new Dunedin sound with the old Dunedin sound. I essentially is that, is that think right? that's probably that right? how it was spun. I don't view. I don't. I wouldn't think that either of us would really view ourselves. That oh, hundred percent. But no, no way. But yeah. that's you can imagine. That's what they would have said. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a good way to advertise a band. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like how else would have you sold it to David? Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think the other the other important part of it was that while David was. Uh, uh, what we found out later is that while David was kind of setting up this label, a big part of it was as a um, passion project and, a, and a, a kind of platform for his daughter who was really involved in the music industry, Jory. And she was out, she is our age. Um, so I think that part of it was also like, well, the chills are kind of like a, an older band, you know, and Jory might not feel like super excited because it's her father's favorite band, not hers. So we, I think we were a, part of the like you've got someone your own age and your own energy to kind of play with which mm. is a good idea i think oh it was totally cool yeah it made George total sense yeah so um, you signed a contract well yeah. we, oh so we didn't we but we didn't sign a contract because when i was when i knew this was happening i looked through our photos right we went to thailand before we signed the contract in fact we signed the contract just before we flew to england so that whole year we were doing stuff including the queenstown show but we didn't sign a contract until mm. thing because what was weird for us was that the whole time it was very intense. So like th- there, there were like rounds and rounds of contract negotiations. Oh yeah, that's right. We, were never, we weren't really involved. We kind of, cause I think at, at, 
we, we might have been asked a few questions, but, but you know, we were so naive and having an idea that the shit we would have said that I probably said actually had no relevance at all. It was just coming from a, like a baby place. Mm. Um, but yeah, we had we were negotiating that negotiating. I'm doing bunny ears in the in the ear that contract until at the moment we flew to England. Really, yeah. Um, so no, we didn't sign it straight away. It just became an informal relationship for a while. I think Mart. I think Martin and the Chills and would have had a lot more. They were like kind of first off the rank. I would say like we'll sort this big part out, and then we were kind of considered down the you know down the tiers of like when to sort out because you know we were gonna fucking go along with anything anyway. So yeah, maybe I'll, I'll just give some like context as to like uh, while we were in New Zealand, we were really just talking to Scott and having some fun times jamming with Martin when we could. Um, we hadn't really met David at this point. We hadn't met David at all. And we didn't really know what the whole record label situation thing was going to be. We had no idea. We, all of this we understand in hindsight. At, at, at the time, yeah. Scott was like, there's these cool opportunities that might happen. And the first one was like, you'll fly to Thailand and go record in this studio. And we we're like, yes, did, please. Did we do that first? Yep. Or did we play no, the, was after. The, the Lady Hawk show? When you fell off the drum seat, and that's when David first saw us, right? Oh, was he there at that show? Yeah. Well, then that was first, yeah. Yeah, we so there we go. Hawk. We opened for Lady Hawk. I think it was Rio Week or something like that yeah. in Union Hall. And it was one of those shows where it was like everything went wrong. Like in, in the eyes of the band, maybe from the audience perspective, it was, it was probably like kind of just a fun show. But we often broke shit. Well, like, rock and roll. Yeah, but not intentionally. <laughs> No, it was from a place of like um, Isaac. I, I love you dearly, but like my God, you you are like clumsy. Is like uh, a nice way of putting it. Sometimes, like it's I'm tactile. It's, yeah, yeah. Your flailing limbs, like it's been mentioned in in songs. I think that you've written. I guess that's self referencing. Yeah. Um, but like, man, like we would break so many guitar strings because you just played so fucking hard and we would break like every possible part of the drum kit that like you don't think you could actually break but somehow we managed to break them um like in the nicest way possible i was a complete burden in terms of like <laughs> anything physical but i think that's what made it exciting now with hindsight do you feel you had the talent to make up for being that no. much of a burden yes no. he did. <laughs> if, maybe eventually yeah. in yeah. other areas but I, if i if I was a third person in that band with Brad and I, I would have pulled Brad aside and be like, nah, the whole thing worked it's okay. because it was this like yin yang thing of yeah. like, you were like kind of crazy. And I guess I was oh pretty my God. calm. Was a tortured genius. <laughs> tortured genius. Yeah. Um, and maybe I was, well, I mean, I was like studying music. So maybe I had a bit more going on in terms of like the technical side of things. A lot more. <laughs> So Brad it, it was up, a great relationship. Brad set up all the gear every gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we would swap between guitar and drums halfway through the show, but I, Brad would set up both sides of the stage and I would just kind of... Yeah, it was just chill. easier if I just did it all. <laughs> um, anyway, so there's right. a show. We opened for Lady Hawk and um, everything kind of broke and went wrong. We were like, oh, God, that was terrible. But I think that's when David saw us and he was impressed enough to be like, yeah, yeah. these guys can come be part of the party. Yeah, and you and and like whatever you're imagining David to be like, you're you're not imagining the right person because he's like eccentric is like made for him mm. in like the lovable way. He is like the weirdest, loveliest guy I've ever met in my life. Like that's he, super cool. 
but amazing. <laughs> would wear the coolest yeah. out there streetwear, but he was a, around 50? Yeah. 50 when we met him, so reckon, he had yeah. grey hair. And yeah. he tattoos everywhere, but this kind of kind American, like a hippie. He was a bit like a kind of free love and hippie a little bit. Yeah, totally. And very into art. And so like, yeah. Well, that's how he made that's his money. That's going to come back later yeah. in the story. Yeah. And, um, and so I think he, I think in hindsight, that was probably, we were, we, our energy, let's put it that way, like the, the kind of spirit of what we were doing is probably what he liked at the time. Because it really probably wasn't like, it's not like he was like, this is a hit and that's a hit. It wasn't like that. He wasn't a music industry guy. No. I it was think like, you guys are doing cool stuff. We weren't like a polished act and that was the thing that he liked. He was like, I like the enthusiasm and the energy and the songs are good, but we were definitely not polished. But I think that was probably worked in our favor. Yeah. You so mentioned yeah. that he's into art. Mm. Is it kind of like he saw you as a piece of art to add to his collection? <sighs> Maybe. I would, I think that's a fair question that I haven't necessarily spent a lot of time thinking about, but just from knowing him, I would say no. I think he's a music lover as well and and saw that side of us that we were like, I think he wanted to bring out the more like punk rock side of us he, in, a, in a weird way. <laughs> getting to the brief, because how many hours do you think in total we spent with David in the, in the two and, and a half years we knew him? Probably like... 24 at the most hours, right? Uh, probably more than that. Only That's slightly that. more. Yeah. Over two and a half years, right? So it's more like 48. But <laughs> from, from that time when I, when I got to know him through there, he was far more interested, I think, in trying to bring out or enable art to become the best art it could as opposed to being at connecting to him or him owning it. In a, in a way, mm-hmm. that's really the sense I got because um, he was always really encouraging of us and, and only, he never was like, you should do this, you should do that. It was always just like, what do you need? What ideas are you looking for? And when he talked about art artists to us, like painters or whatever, um, he would often talk about the fact that he, he would pair artists together, like an, an, an older one, an established one and a younger one. He really liked to try and get like situations going like that. He really just seems like a connector and an, an enabler to me. So I doubt we would have been looked at in that sense. Um, it didn't feel that way anyway. Well, thinking about that, you just said he get sort of asked what you needed, right? Yeah. Um, let's talk about what happened when you moved to London. Yes. What did he give you? Well, so the, 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 the line about moving to London is we, have, we signed and they were like, well, they're like, we want to sign you. You have to move to London. Um, right now because we're basing our offices in London that they just invented um, and we'll pay for your rent while you're there. And I, Isaac, you have to drop out of uni and Brad, you have to quit your job, essentially. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of good-ish timing. Like I did finish my degree, but you didn't. I did. But that's so not great timing for you, but wall, like but... we were like at the end of four years of Dunedin, so like naturally it would have been a time to move on, but you were kind of just doing your thing. Yeah, but yeah. That's fine. But yeah, they were like, we want you to move to London. And, and we'll pay your rent for two years. And you don't say no to that. We're so. like, great. Yeah. So we fly out and like, what did he give us? Like we, we had someone, we had one of his um, lovely assistants, Lindy, like pick us up from the airport. She gave us phones, sims, everything we needed. Took us to the Airbnb that already like booked for us, got us in there, dropped us off. Um, we had a showcase booked for us 
the week after, we had practice rooms booked for us and paid for us. At like the like we have hot chip <laughs> rehearsed. That was one of the first places we actually went and rehearsed. Yeah, that's right. A full room with a mirror so you could see the stage. It was just two of us. Yeah. Fucking hilarious. Um, and, and the other big moment I remember is like one year into it, we, he took us to Denmark Street, um, and we, which is where in London all the music stores are kind of on one street. And it's where like the fuzz, not the fuzz face, one of those uh, famous fuzz um, pedals was invented in one of the basements. Mm, and, and The tone bender. The tone bender. See, I'm getting better. Um, and we walked in, he's like, what do you need? And we're like, oh, we don't, Kiwi boys. Like, I don't really, we've got, we can do the things with the things we have. He's like, I just picked up like a Fender Telecaster and just like a full spec. And I was like, you want one of these? I'm like, yeah, it's cool. He's like, cool, take that. We got like a bass, we got like a guitar amp and a bass head all in yeah. that one shopping trip. We did get pretty kitted out. It was crazy. Which was nice being like poor students coming from Dunedin and then being like launched into one of the most expensive cities to live in and then kind of not having to pay for much, which was crazy. 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 Um, but yeah, we were like getting the full record label experience, more or less. So we lived in London and every cent we earned, we could spend. More or less. And how were you earning money? Is it through shows? No. We, how many shows do you think we played in London over two years? Um, and not including house parties, which oh. doesn't add many. Yeah, maybe like 10. 10 shows in two years. Fantastic. So you guys are really living the label experience. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I used to like to say was that the band ceased to exist for six months, maybe. There was yeah. probably a period of six months where like Brad and I just lived. We just hung out in this. Because we, the thing is we landed in this fantastic little island community and warehouses called Hackney Wick. And we were extremely lucky. That was just the Airbnb that Lindy booked for us. Mm. Landed this crazy community that already had like New Zealanders and, and then a whole bunch of international people, just artists living in warehouses that no one fucking checked in on and everything was available at any time of the day or night and anything was happening any time of the day or night and we were 21, 2021. Yeah. And it was like, cool, the band doesn't exist anymore. Like <laughs> Brad worked at the cafe, so he'd go and do the cafe and I'd come get my breakfast uh, hungover and he'd be working. And we'd be like, yo, what's up? And then I would go to my work at the, at the bar, owned by the same people. Yeah. And Brad would finish his shift and come up to the bar and start drinking there. And that was the routine for like six months. Yeah. Did you record any music? We did. Yeah. We actually did a reasonable amount of recording. A little and bit. And writing. And we did an EP, the Lost Boys Club EP. And so that was Horizon Approaching Lost Boys Club Males? Mm, no. Harry actually, Harry actually and the green one. Oh, going green. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Males on the album, um, but that was basically written pretty much entirely by you, and a lot of those songs about where we were living at the time. Hackney work, yeah, they were all about Hackney work. Yeah, so we did that, and then also did um, a full length album as well, which was technically started in Thailand, which was all pre London which is another part of the story. Yeah. Do we want to go back and talk over the Thailand thing that we yeah. kind of glossed over yeah. several times? Okay. So now that you know that, like, that's kind of where it ended up going. But again, before, when, we, when they first started talking to us about it, it was just like Scott being like, there's this guy and he's really, he's doing stuff with the chills and he's really keen to get this thing going and I think you guys can be involved. And um, 
one of the the first big like things that were thrown at us was essentially like David, I assume it's David. We'll just say it's David because he's the guy in charge in our minds. Like, it could have been someone else around him, but um, he brought on board a guy called Chris Craker to kind of work in whatever this label was going to be. I don't know if it was called Far South at, at the time, but that's it was it was forming. And Chris Craker was a ex vice president of Sony Music, and he had left. Really good record producer, yeah. engineer, like old school recording stock kind of guy. And again, and this is going to be like a common theme, incredibly nice and incredibly yeah. kind. And like, so like these people all had such like time for two, like really kind of rural in a worldwide sense, like New Zealand boys, you know what I mean? Um, but anyway, he'd left that to kind of start his dream of, um, he built a uh, recording studio in Thailand not in like the not in like a city like two hours south of like Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Um, modeled it on the Abbey Road studio, the main studio anyway. But it also was like a resort too, so you would stay there. And there's a pool, and there's chefs, and there's all these things, and then you and you do a record. And I think the couple of acts that were there before me and Brad arrived and had like maybe a week and a half on our own mm-hmm. was Jamiroquai. What? And yeah. Bullet for My Valentine. Oh my god. <laughs> Same so, legs, same legs, guys. Yeah, and then two cartoons in the main room <laughs> with with someone who had actually. So, like, it's also worth noting at this point that while this is all like how the label was run, like all these people were involved in these things, really on the ground for the whole like experience of it, we were mostly only dealing with um, Jory Toplitsky, um, David's daughter, um, who was essentially in charge and the only person who actually did anything in terms of like what we saw. Um, and a guy called Brendan. Brendan Davies. Brendan Davies, yeah. who recorded and worked with us on all, uh, all the music. He was our engineer, producer. And he, yeah. and like we, and, and he was just a guy in Thailand. Was he in Thailand when we were He was there? working in the studio in Thailand. And he was like the resident engineer. And yeah. he was, he, him and Jory, the two like figures that were there the whole way through. But you yeah. said Jory is the same age as you guys. Yep. Yeah. And so she would have been 20, 21, trying yeah. to manage... Yeah, yeah, that's pretty intense. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, crazy. But she was freaking switched on, man. Like she was like hungry to work in that industry. Yeah, and was like pretty pretty awesome for us. I would say. I think she would agree that she was like the best equipped, most passionate, um, hardest working, like twenty two year old that could have been in that role. But yeah. at the end of the day, like we're all still. She's a 22-year-old in that role. And I think she had I think she had a far tougher time with it than we did, you know, because she would have to deal with the whatever the bureaucracy was above us, which never really got explained to us in full detail. Yeah. Because she was the one, I guess she she was shielding us from it in a sense, probably. So Yeah, I feel like you're touching on a couple of things here. Yeah. You said she's shielding you from something. You've mentioned a couple of times that people are surprisingly nice. Um, yeah. What was going on? What do you suspect was going on? Well, it's hard because it's so... I, it's one of those things where I have thought about it a lot. It could just be down to the fact that David was extremely wealthy through his work, um, which was, an, we were told, is an art dealer. One of the top... I heard somewhere one of the top like art dealers in the world. 
You make a lot of money doing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was very wealthy, but the, but also down to the fact that he had a lot of means, and he was also very um, passionate and eccentric about art, and like really on their own, the dysfunction and the like amazingness of the whole experience can kind of be um, described by that on its own in a sense. But I think probably a, a, in reality, what it, what it was was that it was that plus some more normal real world people around him interacting with him and trying to make things happen. Do you know what I mean? Because Chris Craker, very lovely, but also very like, um, I would say like a very normative music industry guy. I by mean, the book, music by industry. By the book. Yeah. He was a you know, vice president of Sony's record producer, you know. Um, and a few of the other people involved, like Rack, um, was uh, the other people who were involved in the UK one there were also like industry people. I think he tried to bring in people with authority or people who um, were entrenched in the industry, you know. Because so, you need that to actually to do make any ground in London. You need to know this person, this person, this person. So he connected all the right people together. Because can we say his ambition, very plain, he would say to us, you're going to be fucking massive. <laughs> it was that mindset. That was the goal. That yeah. was, he was like, you're going to be stars. You're going to be huge. Okay, so that was the goal. He set it all up for you guys. Yeah. Did he touch base at all? Did he come and see you? How did it work? Did mm. you send him messages? We'd get emails um, pretty – like uh, a few months maybe. I don't know. <laughs> and then like when he was in London, we'd, we'd go and have dinner and hang out. Like he'd take us to the casino. And oh yeah, we went. We had a great <laughs> casino trip where he gave us all a hundred pounds each to play with. Yeah, um, to see how we would go. Us and a few of the other musicians on it and people involved. And um, I remember finding Brad, and there was that um, TV star. Was it Gok Wan? Yeah. yeah, was just next to Brad playing. We're, poker. we're playing, we're playing um, blackjack. Yeah, yeah, just playing back blackjack. That's that was right. pretty yeah. surreal. <laughs> That's That's bizarre. Yeah, I was like, hey, Gok Wan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was shit like, so like yes, he would, but it was he's a. It was that kind of weird wealthy experience where he would just jet in because he's just flying all over. Yeah, and he had his own work going on. But it was like, yeah, you're, you're right in the sense it was like he would jet in and it would be a lot of like, you guys are amazing. You guys are going to be like the most- A whirlwind 24 the, hours. The biggest like band in the world soon. Like, I can't wait for this to happen, this happen, this happen. And then he'd go and we'd be like, cool, like we're back in London life and like kind of just doing our thing. We're like, okay. So- yeah. Now what do we do? Kind of we had no idea what we were doing. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. You're there for two years. You played <laughs> ten shows. You recorded what, like five songs? Is that? No, we recorded a, a full length album. So, like, okay. was it 12, 11 or twelve songs? Yeah. And the EP as well. So call it fifteen. I remember. Okay, that, I, that's good work for that's two years. That's not too bad. That's I, not too bad. Personally, I, I I remember that number being that, but also like the 11 of those 15 being written and recorded maybe in the last six weeks of, of that project. Yes. <laughs> Including in the recording session, but they turn, I'm pretty happy with that. So we, we kind of keep skimming over Thailand as well. Okay, so yeah, the, sorry, we need to come back to that. And the, this kind of ties into what you're saying. Um, yeah, I think we were really, the goal was to make an album and to like come out onto the scene as like, here's a new band, new record, blah, blah, blah. We started recording that album in Thailand. And I think it, the way I remember it and see it, we went to Thailand as quite a different band that we left London as. Like our influences were, were 
really quite different to how we left London. So going into Thailand, I think we would just come out of Dunedin and we were listening to a lot of, at least I was, LCD Sound System, um, uh, Soul Wax. Um, Shout out Soul Wax. Yeah. Probably like a lot of that kind of like dance, indie dance, justice probably for you as well. But we were kind of like incorporating that more indie dance thing into our music, which ended up being more like kind of poppy. And that was what we were kind of digging at the time. Mm. So we started making an album in that sort of vein in uh, Thailand. And by the time we ended up putting the album together in London, we had <laughs> started listening to uh, Parquet Courts, Kurt Vile, War on Drugs, um, like just stuff that was like a bit more uh, dense, I guess for lack of a better word. Yeah. That it wasn't so much like party, party fun. Like even the like Lost Boys Club EP was like, kind of the, the tail end of the of the like indie dance moments. Yeah. And then when we had to go and put, I remember this, when we put the, um, the EP out and we had to go and put on a uh, release show for it. <laughs> and we were, cut, we were like, we were over the music by that point. We were like, we, like we don't really want to make this album. Like we, we kind of just floundered and tried to like rock and roll them up and make them what we wanted to. But like, we probably didn't do that release show justice in the way that it needed to be um, presented to like sell it to the industry, which was what we were supposed to be doing. But our, our heads were like completely somewhere else. We, we were like, they wanted us to be the label. Uh, probably rightly so heard us as like, okay, these guys are kind of like, uh, Brit indie pop dance thing, like Tudor Cinema Club, that kind of thing. And we were just like, nah, we're not into that. <laughs> I feel like I keep trying to trick you into being a bit dark, but and I am trying to do that. But did this, that. did this change in influence reflect a change in your mindset? Were you not having fun? Yeah, 100%. I, I honestly reckon we like got into new music and we were like, oh, no, nah, this is our shit. And then we were like, fuck, like we've recorded this whole record and it's totally not us. And that was kind of the tipping point for me. Personally, at least, I remember being like, okay, we could suck this up and be like, just play this like super poppy indie dance kind of version of two cartoons and it will probably be like reasonably popular um, we could get in um, session musicians to play in the band. We'll be like the band that write it, but we could just bring in whoever we want because the label would pay for it. They'd be like, who do you want to play on? Who do you want on drums? Who do you want? Like we get you the best guys and they'll just play whatever you want. But in that moment when we should have been doing that, we were like, nah, we want like our own band and we want to be like a proper like organic unit of dudes that we want to play with and make music the way we want to play it. And it was just like shitty timing. Is that how you see it? An organic unit of dudes. I like that, <laughs> I like that line. Can you say just, that just these days? Mates, An organic unit of dudes. <laughs> just some mates having some brews, yeah. making some tunes. No, but you, it, yeah. 
That's a very Brad take on it, which is true. That's what was happening. Yeah. It feels like they were setting you up to be Steely Dan. <laughs> well, kind of. But we just didn't want to make that music, I think. Yeah, I think that's what was going on. But I know that's not what I was like experiencing at the time. But I know that's what was going on. We've like, never spoken about this, really. Just because like... <laughs> okay, get it out. We, <laughs> yeah, get yeah. It all we out. have other shit to talk about. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Soul yeah. Wax for the thousandth time. Yeah. Um, and the new War on Drugs live album. Um, but like, you know, looking back on that time, I like... I said to a few people, I feel sorry for the people who had to work with me in that period, like full stop. Because looking back on it, I was just a, a kind of, not a, a brat isn't the right word because I wasn't like demanding and I wasn't like devish and all these things, but I was so confident on, I was so confident in my instincts and my ideas about what were going on that, and I had no idea that of course I was like a 21 year old, 22 year old whose instincts were based on bullshit and whose ideas were based on nothing. But I believed them wholeheartedly and would just do whatever. And we're doing this now, you know? So like that isn't an environment for anything to click and gain any momentum. You've got, and Brad, because I feel like we've always bonded over the music and Brad doesn't really care as much about um, some of the more like bigger picture existential stuff about being like the band and where it's going or like ideas around like, you know, it's always me talking about like um, imagery and marketing and release plans and all that shit. Mm. Um, just cause I said that was the kind of where my bullshit just went into. Um, there was no one. It's easier to blue sky that kind of thing. Yeah. There was, and there was no, like Brad was like, yeah, cool. I'll go with that. As well, because we were both kind of on the same vibe. Totally. But uh, there was no one being like, whoa, you're a fucking idiot. Because yeah, this again, is not making sense with this. Like your brain was going like 100 miles an hour. Yeah. And you're like already on to the next thing. And I wouldn't take no. I'd be like, we're just doing this. And like, I'd yeah. be like, we're not doing that. Have you brought us here today to heal? <laughs> is that what's happening? Well, it's crazy because Brad and I have never really had like a... We've always been on the level the whole way through, I think. It was a weird time. If we want to like fast forward to like us leaving London and coming back to New Zealand. It was, this is a Christopher Nolan retelling. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely strange to be like, whoa, that was a really intense two years of my life. Like what the hell happened? Why didn't it go the way that we were told it was going to go in a way and the way that the guy that took us over there was like, we're going to make you famous. And, like, and you, you can't dwell on that shit for too much because like, it's the music industry, like shit happens. It's know? so funny because so I, like, I never had that thought. I got back and went, that was fucking crazy that someone let us do all those amazing things we did. I never thought it, because I don't think I ever believed it was ever going to work. Right, fair Which enough. Which is probably part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> really? Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't yeah. consciously believe that, but looking back on it, it was like, I had I probably a bought into confidence it. issue. Yeah, I probably bought into it a little bit. Mm. Um, but then like, it was the way I look at it now is like, man, that changed me as a musician and as a human being. Just like my, it was, it was a big learning experience that whole two years, maybe even call it three, if you're counting Thailand in there as well, because that was pretty crazy. 
Yeah, build up and build up. <laughs> if we rewind just a le- little tiny bit. Yeah, please. Um, to when you realized it wasn't working and you had to go home. Like, why did you go home? Our visas ran out. Ah. Uh-huh. And it was expensive to keep people there longer than two like years. Like more expensive than paying for their rent in London for two years? Well, they would well, have to keep doing that. You have to keep that, doing that yeah. and you would have to then start. And they didn't want to. Well, I don't think we were really they uh, can returning much, you, you know. Do you, do you remember that meeting? Because like just to give perspective on that and why we were, yeah, exactly the re- on the returns because we had a meeting. I feel like his name was Chris. Dave, David's like um, numbers guy who would sit down and we had one meeting with this guy. who was like, here's how much you've spent so far. Do you remember that meeting? No. Okay, I remember this meeting. <laughs> Only barely though. Um, and I'm sorry, I forgot your name, dude, if you're listening. Um, he was, again, again, another real kind dude. Um, but we were just so out of our depth and he was just kind of like, oh, you've got to, we've got to have this. It was maybe like a year into it. He's like, we're just got to, we're required to have this meeting where we kind of show you like where all the money's going and stuff. Is it our contract? Which they, we didn't understand our contract at all, but they, they did follow it to the, you know, they did everything they needed to do, which is fucking crazy. Um, uh, <laughs> except, except our rolling 15%, but that's all right. Um, and, uh, it was a crazy number. I remember the totals. It built up. It was like, it was over like tens of thousands of pounds. It might have gotten into the hundreds of thousands of pounds. Wow. It's a lot of money. You know, so like it, that's the perspective of like we, we, we finished our visas in the second year and had a meeting in a mall with Chris Craker who very gingerly in the course of the conversation was kind of like so like you guys are going home and that'll be the end of the contract kind of thing, kind of conversation. And we kind of knew at that point. Which, which we knew, but it was like, that makes it like, oh my God, we're getting away with all this money being spent. So on you us, didn't feel like you'd failed in any way. I didn't personally. No, I don't think by that point we had like, we were, we were kind of just like wanting to do our own thing. More than anything, I think. Because that's kind of one of the lessons that this taught me about the music industry is that like it's, it's, it, at its heart, it's, it's a very weird industry, but it also has very normal stuff like bureaucracy and administration getting in the way of things. And what I realized, what I had realized, I think we both realized at that point with so many moving parts and people trying to make this um, thing work, including me and Brad through to Jory through to who the pe- her team she was working with up to the label and back down and all the way through, that n- hardly anything would actually get done. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, because everyone was like, well, you got, you got to go back and oh, you've got to do this a slightly different way. And it's like, oh, by the time it gets implemented, no one actually wants to do it and it doesn't, it doesn't actually work. So it kind of just made sense. I didn't feel like I'd failed. It's like, well, it, it made me think that like the successes where these things kind of work are way crazier than I actually imagined in this industry for really normal, boring reasons. Yeah. As a callback to go all the way to the beginning, what happened to the chills on this label? We, let's just say before we get into this, we don't really know anything. We've never seen a contract. We've only had casual conversations with um, people involved and and then seen press releases and stuff. Um, But they made a record and maybe two records. A great great record. Silver... No, not Silver Bullets. Is that what it's called? It's one with the, the, the grey the, fish. The fish, thing. yeah, yeah. I really like that record. I think the chills were probably professional enough to know they were just left to their own devices and were like, they're going to do their thing and they will 
just put out the product when it's done, which is kind of like the best way that labels work. And they had a whole thing. Everyone knew who the chills. They didn't have to introduce. They just yeah. like the thing. But what it, nothing, Far South never put out anything by the chills. The entire, I remember they, they actually struck a deal with Fire Records mm. in uh, England, mm-hmm. which is, a, I'm told, a, a well-known legacy record label. Brad's nodding. He's my musical yeah. musicology. Yeah, yeah, um, He's heard of it, uh, and which was awesome—a great label for the Chills to be on—and that's what that album came out on. And I, I, I haven't seen the Far South logo or Far South attached to that at all. So whether that was like they licensed it or they like ceased to exist, and now they now the Chills are just on fire. I don't know, but it doesn't. Let's just say that like the, for any of the acts involved in Far South. Um, that whole thing of like you're going to be huge, you're going to become a star, that that didn't really go to plan for any of them. Not that it went bad or horrible and for most of us. Um, it didn't, even with the chills. Did, did Far South last about as long as you guys did on their label? How, what was the longevity of that brand? I checked last night and the last post by them was in 2016. Huh. Okay. So and you guys finished up in London, two thousand fifteen. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe. we were the, the them posting about our album coming out that we had to put out ourselves, um, without any support. Yeah, that was kind of funny because like it was, <laughs> the, the other thing to point out, and I, 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 it's not. Is this the most diplomatic I've ever been in my life, Brad? You've you've come a long way. I've come a long way, I'm trying to speak how I feel. Uh, we got back to New Zealand and with a finished album. With a finished album. <laughs> Actually, no, it wasn't. It was after, still getting mixes. But anyway. after that meeting, and aside from a few messages with probably Brendan, our engineer and producer friend, um, I would say that I we didn't hear from. I haven't heard from anyone involved there since that point. Like I was surprised to see that the Far South thing had actually posted the album. Um link on Facebook or whatever. So they waved goodbye at the airport and then... Yeah, but I wouldn't say that it was like, it's not, I don't say that in a way of like, they haven't been talking to me. (laughs) It was this weird thing of like, I think it just had this like sense of like, we're all just going our own ways. That's how it felt for me, I think. It felt really natural and normal that it just kind of lapsed. It was like that friendship that lapses when you move overseas a little bit. I do have that feeling that if I was ever in... You know, you have friends, you probably have them in like London, uh, some of our friends from London that like we made that I probably haven't talked to more than once maybe since I left. But I know if they walked in the door now and sat down and have like a great night with them hanging out and the friendship would just be exactly the same. Yeah, I kind of have that feeling about most of the people involved in the label, you know. Mm-hmm. But no, I haven't heard not a single word. Yeah, We, didn't, we never signed an end to our contract. Like that was meant to come, never came. Oh, yeah. Are you still on contract? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. Uh, if we are, we haven't been receiving the money we should receive. <laughs> we, we, one of the really, well, it's true because, and it's actually, I, I think I'm really proud to be a, a part of it. It doesn't really matter that it wasn't followed through on, but I think more people should do it. Far South did this really cool thing with our contract, um, which is not an industry standard thing, unless it's changed a lot, where essentially, you know, Josie, you want to make an album, I'm going to give you an advance of money. 
to make that album, um, how it works is that you you we we sell it and I earn all the money until I recoup what I gave you. Mm. And then after that, we have an agreed split on how we split what we're going to call the profits. Um, and Fast South did this really cool thing where they're essentially like, it's that, but the whole time you're actually going to get a 15% roll of all the money coming in. So yes, it will. Ex- we're going to count it as you earning money. So it will extend probably the amount of time until you're like paid off bunny bunny ears again but theoretically we get 15% of all the sales to keep us going and help us build momentum as it goes so it's like a very low interest loan but maybe we did get that was that not what the stipend was but it might it might have been it might have been but it, but it, no i think it was meant to be separate okay stipends a stipend That's, uh, I, didn't I don't know, know. I, I didn't even know that word until i yeah, I learned that word when, when we started receiving money. A stipend was what they gave us. They were like, here's your money to spend on your rent and your I stuff. I didn't know how to pronounce it until just now. A stipend? Yeah. It could be a stipend. Stipend. <laughs> stipend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But I feel like you've alluded to things in previous conversations I've had with you. Yeah. Are you not keen to talk about them now which that the ones? microphone is in front of you? No, no, no. Which ones? That you think that this entire thing was a money laundering activity. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Conspiracy so, theories. I love it. So I like, uh, yeah, no, that's what you're talking about. So I wouldn't say that wasn't my theory. Okay. That's why I, I've been speaking from my first person okay, perspective. Sure. Yeah, it's a theory. But it is, I will say, and I won't say who said it, but it was a theory of one of the band members involved in one of the acts on the record label. And I don't, I, I, he might, that person might have meant it as like a, a joke theory, but it really came across as not. <laughs> and there was, because there was like, well, think about it. It was like, you know, but, you know, when that comes after, like, usually jokes don't have a well think about it afterwards. You know, you're in deep territory if they're like, but if you really, but think, if you about really it. think about it. But conspiracy theories often do. Have yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> Just um, interesting facts. Because it is, I, and I get it. If it, 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 it doesn't look like it makes any financial sense um, at all. It doesn't. No. And the sums of money that must have been sunk into it. But this is why my theory is that is the combination of an eccentric wealthy man and um, failed bureaucracy and wasted spending. Because we probably should interject here and say that we were not the only act along with the chills that were was no. on this. There was us, uh, Katie, Dagny, Richard. But Brad's just saying names. No one knows any of these Well, people. I'm not like... I think I've, I've read Dagny before. So yeah, She's still going. She's yeah. been good. Dagny's great. Shout out yeah. Dagny. She's killing it. So, but, but the connection but was... These are the other artists, The right? chills yeah. were first. Then we were baby chills. Mm-hmm. Signed in that. Chris Craker was bought on board. His son, Richard Craker, is a really talented songwriter and multi-instrumentalist. He was brought on board. At the time, he was dating Dagny, who's a vocalist and songwriter herself. So she was brought on board. And that was, that was the top group. At the, the weird one out of all of it was Katie Raven. Stage name, not real name. I, I, sorry, Katie, I can't remember your real name. Uh, last name, sorry. Um... Her real name was Katie though, right? Yeah, it was. It's yeah. just the raven part that wasn't yeah. it. Okay. Um, and she was this like, what I'm told, like a crazy Adele level singer. Yeah, she was trying to be the next Adele. Because that was kind of hot at the time. David, 
who has a house in Queenstown, uh, just outside of Queenstown. Amazing, beautiful house. Holy shit. And, um, and uh, he had found her busking in Queenstown and she was brought over to London basically the same way we were. Um, but she was a very different personality type to us and I think they, she had a lot more demands on how she wanted it to happen and an idea of what she wanted to do that included like this crazy amazing vocal coach and she'd be up on stage with this special green tea before she sang that would be good for her vocals and all these things and she would and David would match her with like the best songwriters in London and all these sessions and all these things but we were on such different worlds like I don't think we even hung out with Katie the entire time if you'd requested that stuff would you have got it yeah Probably, yeah. 100%. We went, they were like, even when we didn't request it, we got hooked up with this manager guy. Do you remember his name? Ricardo something? Oh, yeah, Ricardo. Yeah, so they were like, you guys need it. You know you know what's missing? You need like a, um, a really like high-flying, intense like manager dude. And like they hooked us up with this guy and he was like, he like wined and dined us at this private club that Harry Styles goes to. The Groucho. The yeah. Groucho. Me and, Brad, <laughs> me and Brad have been to the Groucho to where they just they have free drinks and all this shit to be like wined and dined by this guy who as far as I can tell like did nothing in two months and Far South paid him and then Jory was like he's not really doing much for you guys and got rid of him <laughs> and that's a whole that's that's one whole story of the whole thing this is this is too intense I feel like there's a there's more of a book going on here this it's, is, yeah there's it's, a lot it's so, of yeah, money like, flying there's so around much depth that you need to go into because this is just a, like a cursory overview of each event that happened in the yeah. in the what it's, four years span? Yeah, we'll like, call it four, but like the yeah. two was really London and this is when most of it went down. Like we're not even touching on uh the show in Venice where we we, we played at the Venice Biennale, which yeah. is the world famous art show because yeah. of course David is a sure. art curator. And do you remember what country Yeah, somehow we were playing at the opening of the Mauritius Pavilion. Ooh la la. So each like, country sponsors its own artists to go and present yeah. at and the Mauritius Venus Biennale. And sponsored you. Well, they had their art and then we played at their opening yeah. on the canal, the canal behind us. It was crazy. Taking on a canal boat. like That was a good David experience. That was David hanging out the whole time. We were that all was like, pretty awesome, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was sick. But what? yeah, we just did that. And then we were like, well. To no one. Playing well, acoustic yeah. guitars. Yeah, it was like oh, an, it was acoustic an acoustic set. set. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, like we didn't have a band at the time, kind of thing. Like yeah. we we just had the two of us, which was like how the band started. But like it probably wasn't super appropriate to play like full on balls to the walls rock and roll at this thing. Part of me wanted to. Oh, we wanted to. It was like so a, like a gentle art show. But yeah. upside of that, so so oh my god, we're playing uh, Venice Biennale because of this art connection. We made friends living in Hackney Wick. Um, one of them was Italian. Um, Kevin, shout out Kevin. Well, Kevin, his, his lovely Helen. girlfriend, Helen, Helen. Uh, she was Italian. So we were like, well, why don't we go and play a show in her hometown afterwards? So they came with us and then we played Venice and then we went and played Vicenza and afterwards. So, so it was like this cool thing where they were like, yeah, totally. Like you guys can go and do that on the side. Yeah. Like, that makes total sense. That was one of the coolest things to do the whole time because it was yeah. – looking back it's because it was us yeah like it was just two guys and our friends and they mm. put on the show we played to no one in this little like um vincenzo vincenzo like, yeah. uh, cafe thing when it was closed and it was awesome yeah it was 
and and there's those moments when you realize you're like, oh, the coolest shit happens when we're just like doing the DIY thing. And like, yes, it was cool because the label sent us to, to Italy. Like, yeah. But like that part of it and the times that we had the most fun was like doing a DIY show there or like <laughs> playing a crazy warehouse party in London. Yeah. The, the label weren't like had no facilitating, idea. but we were like, Playing like a rave essentially. Um, yeah, so like we played some like there were there were musicians who would be like, oh, you know, we played Ronnie Scott's famous jazz club. Two cartoons did early on, and we played like we opened for Ballpark Music at this place, and we opened for Courtney Barnett down here, and we did this kind of stuff. And I don't fucking remember any of those gigs, but I remember the gig to like thirty people at C One. Um, which is one of the warehouses that we lived in, where I was so high, I picked up a guitar to start our set, and I looked at Brad and said, I can't remember how to play guitar. <laughs> and he had to hand him the guitar, and I had to go on the drums, because I yeah. felt like at least I could still hit things. And I remember <laughs> that very well. Yeah. It was that kind of thing. Like, there's this weird whole thing with it. We're like, yes, it's, it's crazy and interesting, and I, we probably don't talk about it as much, because it, well, for me it really felt like this, like that was just happening up, up here above us and we would be dipping our heads in and out of this thing that I'm sure for them was the whole time. But for me, like that was kind of as if I had some kind of like summer job, like babysitting kind of deal, you know, like, oh, I, I've got to go hang out with these people for a bit, but then I'll come back to this real life I actually want to live, which was working and living in this place with this amazing people. Like experiencing things that as like a, a guy from Timaru in Dunedin had like never experienced in his life. Talking about drugs. Drugs <laughs> and like um, fried chicken at 4am and like. You don't get that in Timaru. Delivered yeah. as well. Like and, and just like, you know, all different types of people everywhere. Chaos, getting mugged. So like we, oh we, yeah, we, we got so like we got. You're mugged. laughing about this. Yeah, Bray yeah. was not laughing well, at the time. Yeah. Uh, we got mugged two weeks into being there. Yeah. Welcome to London. Totally going to London. meet. We, we we were going to we, we'd met our first good friend. We'd met was a guy called Dom Jones. Dom Jones is now in Flamingo Pier with Brad oh. and our other friend Luke. Congrats on that. Thanks. By the way, that started in London. Which started yeah. in London with Brad and. and that's Luke. great. Yeah. yeah, and like so, like all the, there's so much shit that's come out of it. Um, and Dom had just built a practice space that we were like, this is more our style. It's just like random walls in a warehouse. It was also like dingy. five minute, two minute walk from where we lived. In so the middle, it was very, yeah, yeah. very, very, very um, convenient. And and we were like, that was the point where we were sick of being a two piece. Um, and we were never a two-piece again. Two weeks into it. Six two weeks into it. Yeah, we're like, we're sick of this. Um, and so he had gone, well, I know a really good drummer. You should go meet him at this bar crate just up the road. Um, and that bar uh, eventually would be the place I worked the entire time. Like, that was my first, like, real job. I learned all about beer there. Like, made all my friends there. But you got to get from the warehouse island across a canal to the bar and we were turning around a corner on the canal and these two guys, it's because it's not, it, the sun goes down at fucking four o'clock in the afternoon. It's only six o'clock, but it's pitch black. Just two Kiwi boys, just like, la-di-da, down a canal in the pitch black. And they like, oh, do you have a light for your cigarette? And we're like, oh, no. And then like one of them just grabbed Brad and the knives were out. Mm. Fucking huge knives. How big were they? Like, I don't, I don't know measurements, but like. They, they were, were just like really big serrated kitchen knives, like a really gnarly 
bread knife almost, but like, but like sharper than that. I don't even know what do you what it, kind of knife you call it. Anyway, they weren't like it wasn't like a hunting knife, but it was like a big like oh that looks like that would hurt a lot. <laughs> and, and like there was one pretty much at Brad's throat. Yeah, like sitting on his shoulder right there. I was kind of, I had one pointed at me, but I wasn't being held. So I had a slightly easier experience, but it was just like, give us your shit. Yeah. And it was like, here's my watch. Here's my, here's um, our iPhones. And then, oh, well, I tried, we had a burner phone that Lindy had given us. Yeah. Uh, and I gave them that and then tried to get away with just like having the other one in my pocket. And they were like, what else have you got in your pocket? And I was like, fuck. Yeah. Gave them my iPhone. And they, they just took the shit and ran away. And so we had to then walk the rest of the way to Crate, walk in and be like, hi, um, we just got mugged. We don't have at any- At knife point. <laughs> at knife point. We don't have any phones or wallets and we've just gotten here. Um, could we like, is there a phone we could use to, I guess, ring the police? And like, could we have a beer? <laughs> For our trauma? <laughs> yeah. And um, it, was, it was a guy who became a really good friend, Ollie. Um, was oh, like yeah. Ollie was managing that night, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll sort you guys out." And we ended up meeting Howie, and Howie drummed for us. He's there's we have the song called Males. Um, he drummed pretty much on the whole record, bar the few that we played drums on in Thailand. Incredible drummer. There's this huge fill in Males. Uh, um, oh no, not not few. There's a big ending in Males, and there's a huge fill in um, Lost Boys Club, where it comes back into the last chorus. And those are pure Howie drums. He's fucking crazy. He broke his hand, um, one of his fingers or his wrist or his hand or something mm. before a gig. He learned how to play all the crazy like- kind Not of, our show, this is like before. Before us, but yeah. crazy like jazz style drumming with one hand. And then after that experience started just playing with one hand, even when he had two hands to use the other hand to do shaker or shit like that. Playing drums with one hand better than like fucking most people I've seen with two. Crazy. Shout out Howie. Yeah, he was great. But anyway, so yeah, we met him uh, after we got mugged. There you go. Cool. Cool. Great. Look, <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's a lot. It feels like every single part of your time in London, every day, had something to talk about. But it sounds like a rock and roll kind of lifestyle, right? Yeah. Do you yeah. have any hangovers from that? What do you mean? Like, did you come home and go, oh, fuck, there's my dignity, there's my money. There's, <laughs> there's like a very expensive drug habit that I cannot fill. Oh, right. Like, no, that was pretty good really i mean the money side wasn't that bad because like we essentially um just worked for play money so like we did all right out of it you know um i've been i've got bad financial habits so i was <laughs> I, I i i was pretty i was somehow still like not very i was pretty poor the whole time somehow i don't know how i was buying a lot of fried chicken <laughs> but brad's right like it could we no we didn't because like it's like when in London, you know, like that's just what you do when you're there, especially where we were living. And I'd started smoking before I went to London. It made it worse. Yeah, they had rollies there, and I was working at a bar, so I definitely, I I definitely arrived back home smoking a lot yeah. more. You definitely got a cigarette habit after London. But quit quit when I was twenty five. Like yeah. I always said, I would. So yeah, and I'm always smoking around you at flight and. You never, you never want. Oh, one. my body yeah. like rejects it if there's yeah. tobacco. If I like accidentally like have a joint or whatever, and if someone's put tobacco in it, my I, my body like has a physical reaction to it now. It's fucking crazy, man. Yeah, I couldn't even if I wanted to, I couldn't mm. again. Whereas I'm like, will still happily have the occasional cigarette, but I never was like. Maybe there was probably a moment in London when I was like, I'm a smoker now. Like you accept it. You're like, ah, yep. Every day I'm smoking cigarettes, but now I'm like, ah, eh, I'm very much the social smoker. 
Yeah. I would go weeks, months without it, but I don't care. You, whereas you're like, never again. I have an addictive personality, so yeah. I, if I need to... Smoking's really not good for you. Um, <laughs> PSA. PSA kids. <laughs> but like, if you, you know, but I, I kind of, I don't believe life should just be filled with things that are good for you. So if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. But um, yeah, I def, I, I'm glad that I don't have that to hang my like, because I, I was, uh, you know, you attach it to... Um, you attach it to habits or whatever, you know what I mean? Like social, I mean, I'm drinking, having friends, I'll have a cigarette. I was like, uh, we were back in Auckland after London and I couldn't write any lyrics for any of the new songs we were writing unless I was smoking a cigarette. That's right. I was like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I can't write a lyric if I'm not smoking. Yeah. And the, the album that came out from that was about your time in London. The EP, the Hangover one, yeah. 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 And the, the album was as well. The, the EP was definitely about Hackney Wick and then the album was probably even more about Hackney Wick but way darker. Yeah. So that was after you'd had some time to reflect. That was like after yeah. discovering like parquet courts and... Oh, and no, he's like talking a bit musically, ah. I think. Darker as in like it's just a bit more like Gothic. in the face. That no, album. but like lyrically as well, it was probably darker. It was more real. Yeah. It was real. It was real. Well, it's just because, you know, yeah, I got robbed twice while I was there and there were like real like cretins rolling around in Hackney Wick. Like it was, it's a real, it was the same as a lot of scenes like that. It was fucking crazy and amazing to be a part of, but part of it was be, uh, also because attracted. Because fucking unsafe. And unsafe and <laughs> yeah. insane and a lot of lost souls Yeah, there. But that's like every amazingly creative yeah. hub city like throughout time, you know, it's if it's if it's safe and sanitized and easy, it's not exciting or creative at yeah. all. So we yeah. were lucky to be a part of this thing that was pretty in, intense and unsafe, and it bought shit out of us and be completely supported the whole time yeah. by the label. Which is why, like, I think I have this perspective now, which is like, I'm someone who doesn't naturally put myself in like growth spaces, like things, experiences that'll like actually help me grow. Cause I'm just, I'm a bit conservative sometimes in that sense. I just won't put myself there cause it's uncomfortable or whatever. I would have never learned or done any of the things that I got to do in London over two years. If I've uh, anywhere else, uh, if I'd stayed in New Zealand, I would have, I, I would be a completely different person and I'm really happy with where I am now. So like London's a big part of that mm. and having those experiences and yeah. it was purely on the dollar of, this label and David Toplitsky. So I really only have them to thank for it, which is kind of a weird yeah. <laughs> thing about it because theoretically we were a band on a label in a business and we really should have just been like trying to, we, we failed completely it in anything we were paid for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we yeah, didn't yeah, do yeah. our job We failed at, at the <laughs> We still delivered the goods, but it wasn't really that good hey, for them. We did kind of mention it before, but that EP release show, right? That's the one that had Horizon approaching on it. Um, shout out the Daffodils who really love that song. Um, <laughs> Uh, that got put out by Clash magazine and put on playlist. We had a whole PR campaign for it. That hit like 800,000 Spotify plays in like three days or something. And we were up to such fucks and doing nothing so disorganized that we played an EP release show off the back of that at this tiny venue to like 30 people. And we didn't play the song. And we didn't play that song <laughs> because we didn't like it anymore. And Oh my God, and you we, guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were those guys. Yeah. We were those guys. But that's that's pure artistry, is that you're doing it for is the it love the, of it. 
Don't do that. Not, no, I'm trying to trying to bring you guys back up. <laughs> that's definitely got- yeah. That's a that's a positive way of looking at it. But you, the the other way is just like we were just little brats that <laughs> like, just were like, nah, we're not into that. We're bored now. We're gonna do this thing. So yeah. like, in, in a lot of ways, play. it was like a lesson in professionalism and being like, well, if you want to play the game, this is how you got to play it. I, yeah. But you're welcome to go and, and play it your way if, if you can make peace, which I think is where I am now. Like, yeah, you, it, it taught me to make peace with the what was gonna happen if I did the things I wanted to do. Do you know what I mean? The, the problem was we had a different set of aims for what we were doing on the ground and wanted to do, and those caused tension. Are you talking about our different aims? Like uh, the, if, la- the label had their goals and we had our goals and they didn't align? Totally. Like, yeah. you know, I couldn't do anything I'm doing. Like, if I tried to do what I'm doing now, somehow I get transported back in time and I'm, my whole plan that I have now for what I'm doing, but we just put it on the label, that'd be like, none of this is going to work and this doesn't make sense. You need to start <laughs> playing shows again and you need to, so all these things, you know? Because they have different goals, industry goals, all these things. Yeah. Um, and I think we were just like unawarely doing that. Um, but I don't know. I said this weird thought speaking about all that and feeling a sense of gratitude, Josie. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. But to the point of like maybe why we haven't or I haven't talked to or like tried to contact a lot of these people or feel maybe slightly uncomfortable when I think about that or like do talk to them. Um, including people like Jason and Scott and like all of them is that I have this sense of like when I talk to them, I feel like I I will need to apologize Mm. quite genuinely for quite a lot, for like essentially looking back on an older version of myself and being far more in their shoes than I am in that person's shoes now. And I feel like if I had the time with those people, then uh, at least the first part would really have to be me being like, Look, I'm sorry about that. But should we all apologize for being 21? Like, yeah, exactly. I don't think so. Yeah. Time heals as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, you know, sneaking out and getting drunk and doing all those things, like, I don't think you should apologize oh. for, but probably like wasting Mate, we're 100,000 not, we're not pounds. 12. <laughs> it's not wasting. <laughs> it's developed you as people. Sure. No, I'm it, sure and, I still would. To though. be honest, like, that happens. Not every day, but that's a pretty common story in the music industry. It's like we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, pounds, whatever you want to call it, on a band and it didn't work. So there you go. Yeah. They would have sued you or something if they were really mad. But yeah. I think they dissolved. So they ran out. They couldn't. They're not a legal <laughs> entity anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know. I've never thought about then that. Then how is it your fault? Clearly it's they... Not. Yeah. I think on yeah. A, just on a personal level, I guess. I think... I think I would. I know what you're, I know, what I know you're what you referring mean. to. But Brad had to deal with me the most out of anyone. And we had a, it's not like, it's, deal with me is probably the wrong way to put it. It's not like I'm like some fucking crazy person. No, you had your days. But I had my days. <laughs> and I, I did have this and I still like, it's me as I am now, but with no knowledge whatsoever. Like, <laughs> do you, you know, I hardly have anything I know now. exactly what you mean. Yeah, thank yeah. you, thank you, Josie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no. Yeah. I look back to being that age all the time and just want to die. <laughs> But, but it's so important though. Like yeah. you needed to go through it. Like you, it's it's funny because really I feel like if, if we're going to delve into like personal level shit. Here, I love this. Which we can do mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, we were, we were tight. We were like in a two-piece band and essentially we were like living out of each other's pockets pretty literally uh, and spent every single day together for a, probably five years, four years maybe. 
if we're going to talk to the, from like the Dunedin times and the band started and we were like, this is it, we're going to hang out, write songs, all that sort of shit. All, all the way the time, through to when? All the way till like end of London. Is that four years? Well, yeah. If you take it to like the end of the band, it was eight Who years Who cares? It's a number. Um, you know, I was, we were, we were really, really tight and uh, newsflash for a lot of people, we don't hang out a lot now. Like we kind of have our separate lives, but when we come together, it's like really beautiful. And it's like that whole thing of, you know, we have been through so much together that like we'll always be like best pals. Yeah, it's um, like brothers. But man, like you were such a different person in Dunedin through to London to who you are today. Oh yeah. And like it's, this is getting a bit real. Like it's, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's pretty amazing to see the change and, and it's all good. Thanks, Brad. You know, there's nothing that I'm you like, oh, I wish I had like the Isaac that was like, you know, I'm not going to start naming shit that you did because that would just be wrong. <laughs> but like you had some bad habits, man. Had some bad habits. Like, and, and some darkness that I feel like you've dealt with. And you probably had to go through a bit of a journey in London and come out the other side of it. Uh, uh, yeah, it's like my theory with quitting smoking and seeing as I've mentioned smoking. <laughs> yeah, it's a theme through this whole thing. It's the whole thing is that like a lot of points in my life, all, change only comes once the dials have been turned up to 11 for an extended amount of time and you're like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you literally, I genuinely believe in that. So like if you're, if you're, if you're smoking and you're like, the, and this is a metaphor for all the lessons in my life, but the, the one that will get me in the least amount of trouble is the smoking one. Um, <laughs> thanks, Brad. And then uh, is, uh, if you really think you might want to stop smoking, then keep smoking because you don't actually want to stop smoking. You, you know, if, if you enjoy some part about it, you're going to keep doing it. There's no, point keep, there's no point even tricking yourself into thinking you're quitting. You'll just relapse and probably smoke more or delay it more. Wait until you're like, actually, I really don't want to do this anymore. You, and you kind of know it when you reach that point. Once you reach that point, you're you're going to be good. All you need to do is, for the next pick a pick a pick a date, maybe two three months away. That's going to be your last cigarette, and from that point until the end point, double the amount you've been smoking. Yeah. Switch to Marlboro Reds even if you can. Honestly, just like if you haven't already, drive that, drive it home. Wrap the filter up. Yeah. Just drive it. Yeah, cow- cowboy yeah, cigarettes. Cowboy it. Honestly, because like you, you've, you've got to realize that you don't like something of what you're doing. My mum's trying to Facetime me right now. Talk while I'm talking about quitting smoking. She'll be so. She's like, oh, I'm so glad you quit smoking. But yeah, I I I, I, I hear what you say. Like, I think that's a really important. Um, thing which is very nice to say uh, you know i feel that in myself as well but um before before we got like super personal there was a really good point i think was making that the story in many ways is kind of i think what people it, it, it's gonna be informative for people who think that what we had is what they want and kind of like the weird because a lot of it is crazy. Like, yeah, we did the, some we had some crazy situations, but a lot of it's really mundane. This is kind of how the record label industry works. Like, just what you said. You know, we spend X amount of money and we try and do sexual do these things. And if this is really what you want, like, we did that, and this is us telling you like what it was like and and how it ended and where we went. And if none of this makes any sense, it's because it was pretty confusing. Yeah, and, and it was pretty crazy. <laughs> and and. That is when you're th- talking about the music industry and labels and making it, this is what you're talking about, even if you don't realize it. And um, 
it, I'm glad that I went through it because it, it's, it's informed every single thing I do now. And I'm the most successful and the most happy I am now. Far more than I have ever was when I was have you know had all the things that you need. Yeah. So like it's and and if and I kind of wish, not that I would change anything, and I, I'd probably not listen to me and still do what I did because I was a fucking idiot. But I wish there were more people who talked about these kinds of things out and about um, their experiences in the music industry um, because like it's a crazy place and. Imagine getting. I, I want to be a. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be all these things. But you have no idea how the fire business works. <laughs> you just know that at some point you're going to point a hose at a fire. But yeah. fuck knows. You don't know who made the fire. Yeah, where yeah. it comes from. Doesn't matter. I just want to put out fires, motherfucker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's and that's what the music industry kind of is. Yeah, I don't know. Brad, yeah, it's summed up pretty well, to be honest. Do we have? It's it's. What do you think, Josie? What, what, you're what the one who's listening to all this shit. What do you think I think about it's it? very confusing and told in the wrong order. It's um, Christopher <laughs> Nolan. <laughs> um, and that's, maybe that's my fault. Maybe it's yours for talking for long periods of time. I don't know. That's what we do. Yeah, that's what a podcast is. <laughs> is this and, a podcast? I personally hate podcasts, um, so I'm stoked to be on this one. This one's really good. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe, like, and subscribe. <laughs> like, and subscribe. Um, is there any anything that you don't that we that is obviously confusing that you would like or anything you'd like to know more about from that? I mean, I think there's definitely like stuff that I would want to know on the R-rated side of, side of things. Oh. oh, like what? Like if you're in London yeah. for two years, you got this bachelor pad, you've got all this money. Not really a bachelor pad. You got this room that you're sharing. Oh, we didn't. We didn't stay together. We had. We were paying separate rents at separate warehouses. That's ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. Five hundred pounds a month. See that, each. See. See. There's all these tiny little details. We started yeah. sharing. We started sharing a room. We had some. We definitely oh, had some. Bit. We definitely had some share room moments. Oh uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. For the first Airbnb. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, so like and the week in Red Gates when when you found a girlfriend and and I actually didn't have anywhere to live so we actually all. Slept in the same bed. That's pretty dope. That's friendship. Together. Well, really we'd been beautiful. on the couch. We'd be, we'd slept on couches together. There was nothing new. No, we had to, there was we, just another girl in the picture. At this yeah, point. yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we'd we'd been homeless in Melbourne for a month for a little bit. Yeah. Um. Uh. Not really homeless. Kind of though. We went only knowing like two, one person, and had to make friends to try and have a place to stay each each time. Yeah. Which led to some fun situations, and then actually shout out Eden Mulholland. Oh, yeah. Who really helped us out on that trip by just letting us open for him and then giving us money for a shirt so we could buy food that night. Fuck, that was crazy. <laughs> um, anyway. Great. R-rated stuff, yeah. It's normal, normal London stuff. These guys that, uh, you know, this, the, the second day, not second day, but I'd, I'd met Bryce. So it was probably like maybe three months in. Yeah. Um, Bryce became a really good, was, shout out Bryce. He doesn't fucking listen to this. He doesn't give a shit. Bryce doesn't give a shit about anything I do. Um <laughs> he, uh, we were just walking around in this big like um, Cadillac, like four wheeler, four wheel drive thing. Um, just pulled up, and this guy rolled down. He's like, "Oh, do you guys like smoking weed?" I'd never really smoked weed at that point, but Bryce was a big weed smoker. And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, what's up?" And he's like, oh, "I've got some like got some new stuff. I'll give you like a um, a little test taste. Of you guys, do you live around here?" Like, "Yeah." And he's like, oh, "Cool, just go home. Like, roll this up, have a smoke, and then just like, here's my number. Give me a call about uh, like w- whether you think it's good or blah blah blah." 
like a fucking like right, he wanted feedback. Yeah. Well, his, it was uh, essentially it ends up being like weed, weed delivery. Weed and, delivery. And so you ended up playing the game walking around Hackney Wick, which was like, is that an Uber or is that a, a dealer? Yeah. Like they all drove the same. They all drove Priuses basically. Yeah. And there would be people waiting outside the like warehouse gates and they'd either be waiting for food, someone being driven away somewhere or their drugs to be delivered for the night. Yeah. And it was like, you could just get anything you wanted whenever. We had, we had friends who were such good customers hmm. um, of, 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 a, of a dealer that uh, this person delivered them a full leg of prosciutto ham uh, at the end of the year for thanks for their custom from Italy. What a thank you to get. Yeah. They deserved it. That is someone whose parents are butchers. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was wild, man. It's nothing like New Zealand. We are, you know, that's, well, maybe that's why we drink so that, that's much. That's kind of something... That we can sort of hone in on here is that you guys are two boys from Timaru, right? No, I'm from here. He's You're from, from here. Are you from yeah. Auckland? I forget. Yeah, yeah. No. But we yeah. met in Dunedin yeah. at yeah. uni. We were the token musicians at our um, at Arana. Yeah, Arana. Oh, you were nerds, or were you jocks? One of the two. Probably more like nerds, to be honest. Yeah, I, I was jock tangential. Yeah, yeah. but did, did you have nerdy. some kind of leadership position at your high school? Yeah, yeah. I was go. the head of house. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck around, all, man. Do you remember the, that chant everyone used to yeah, sing? Yeah, of course. Fuck around. <laughs> it was they good. were just jealous. Yeah. yeah, we had great fried uh, like food. But we met pulling out of a, a paper. Uh, this is how I think we met. We're, we're, we're withdrawing from a, a film music paper. I think we went to like two lectures and we're like, yeah, not for us. And then we we're like, oh, you play a bit of music, right? Like, and then ended up making a band for Battle of Bands. Yeah. Battle of the bands. Yeah. That was the start, same as same as old little Jack Berry. This same is as so many Dunedin bands. A huge like Nolan yeah. exercise right now oh, that we're like now yeah. at the beginning of your story. You're like, do you edit these podcasts? Maybe now you do. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. This is the holiday special. We've been drinking Catalina lagers. Shout a little out local Catalina. lager by Little Creatures yeah. New Zealand. Um, it's good. And it's 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 really nice talking to you, Josie, about this. If you've never listened to a podcast, anyone listening. This is not representative. This is not how they go. This is not. so much better than most podcasts. This is free form, baby. Honestly, they try too hard a lot of the time. You and, make them. And fail. Yeah, I don't try hard. Okay. Yeah, That's, yeah, yeah. yeah, fair. I mean, good if you point. heard the, the Kadu Kalu one, it's just clipping the whole time. That was a good one. <laughs> um, this is the kind of shit that like, this is exactly what podcasts like this should be, I believe, my philosophy. They should just be living room conversations. I mean, Brad and I have had versions of this conversation in parts with other people. But for me, I don't know how Brad feels about it. It's actually been really nice to like have all these pieces together yeah. because I, I, don't, I don't spend much time. I don't know about you, Brad, but like that part of my life is kind of like, or I've learned all the lessons from that part of my life. And I've kind of like, it's so far in the past now that I'm just in a completely different world. Oh, totally. So it's Same. quite nice to be like, oh, yeah, this and then that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you thought about this much, Brad, this whole part of your life? I mean, I do because I still interact with a lot of people from London, like the Flamingo Pier guys, right. obviously, which became a bigger part of my life um, that I met them there. So like, yeah, there's still connections to it, but it's one of those weird things where it was such a moment in time and it's not any sort of regret or like, ah, oh, damn, I wish we could go back and do that again because you literally couldn't. Like 
where we lived oh, doesn't gone. exist anymore. Apartments. It's and- all been like had the full gentrification treatment. Like there is yeah. there is no dangerous hackney work. Like it's not really a thing. So like you, you got, the only way you can look at it is like, wow, that was a fucking crazy time in my life and I did a lot of crazy things and had a lot of fun and got to do it on someone else's dime and make some cool records um, and maybe it wasn't the perfect way of doing things, but like that's that was it. That was life. So like it's one of those good things you can look and look back at it in hindsight and it makes sense. But I think I definitely had moments when I came back when I was like, what the fuck? Like that was like what happened here? Like what, why did it turn out that way? Like did we do something wrong? But you kind of lose that pretty quickly really. Like, and, I, and I think we made I think the album that we put out is like very flawed for me and I don't really listen to it but I'm, I'm like quite proud of it like it, it's a weird thing listening to it where it's like I can just hear like the little versions of me and Brad doing like really the best that we could at the time and it's got this like energy in it for me personally listening to it and I think like we it's it kind of encapsulates that whole time for me where it's like it's it's probably a lot better than it had any right to be really yeah right do you know what i mean i think that that's it's an interesting thing though but it's like honestly like what what musician or artist is like yeah i go back and listen to my old records and like and on a regular basis and enjoy them like that's that's Jeff pretty Tweedy. Really? Yeah, he was. No, uh, he doesn't. Yeah, I listened to, like, you'll. you'll the the you'll, Rick Rubin one? Yeah, and he was like. I no, Malcolm Gladwell, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, and he was like, oh, I had to learn not to be ashamed that I really like my own music and, like. Oh, yeah, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, he did say that. Yeah, okay. Is that what you're saying, though? You don't like that record? I, there's actually a couple of songs that I think are really good and people have completely. Yeah. Do you feel like it. you shouldn't like it? You feel like you no, shouldn't? No, no, no. Okay. No, I get something out of all. I mean, I only think I think there's only two there's only two two cartoon songs from the whole career that I actually think are in my eyes good. Bunny is good. Like what, what are they? What I think they should be, and the rest are like these really nice attempts that do like cool things and they're kind of like I'm like oh yeah I get it, and then there's a couple that I hate. Um, but I think two is pretty fucking good for a band that really, we never sat down and were like, let's write this kind of song or let's have, I had never had any intentions. I was just like, oh, this sounds cool. I had no idea what I was doing. Brad had to deal with a madman who had no idea what recording was, mixing was, and not only that, but it refused to learn anything about it and just was like, I don't want to know. And then, yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think the two songs are? <sighs> Probably the last one we put out. Yep. Uh, less people, less people yeah. And which is, of course, you'd pick that one. But I think that's the one we nailed. Yeah, because Shout the end Eddie. of the career, right? No, so like, we could have fucked enough. it, but it was Eddie. Uh, but I, I don't know what the other one would males. be. Males. I think Males is oh, like a good yeah. song. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yep, fair. Done. fair. Okay. Did you see Males? Like, speaking of Males, Josie, I'm pointing at you now. Did yeah. you see Brad? Richard's bringing Males back for a tour in 2021. Really? Yeah, we should get on that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I would love like a 2012 refuel lineup. Would you come along? Of course I'd come along. I can tell you there's been a person in Dunedin in one of the musical groups down there who's been talking to me for the last like two or three months about trying to make that exact thing happen. Is it? Can I guess who it is? Who? Is it someone who's in Asta Rangu? No, it's uh, not. Okay. No. All right. But he, but he, 
I, I guess you're talking about Angus. Yeah. Yeah. Angus. Shout out Angus. Shout out Angus. Love Angus. Um, Angus stayed with me in Edinburgh for like three weeks. Really? He's just, he's always on the go. I'm going to have to ask him about that when he comes on the podcast, when him and Richard come, because it's so Edinburgh, Angus. Yeah. What Edinburgh, well, Edinburgh, Angus shaved all of his hair off. That's right. Every, every single bit of it. <laughs> yeah. And I think. Uh, in it, my bathroom. Oh, oh great. Wow. It's funny that we, because like for me, that is the two cartoons thing is like, I don't, as much as we talk about the music and the label, I don't associate any of that with two cartoons. I literally associate it with like the handful of like really close yeah. friends that we made in that band. And it was literally the Dunedin friends, which was Angus and Sam and Richard and like even like Pepsi and all those dudes. Yeah. And then London and all our friends that we made through the band. Um, those are the important things. Of course. The people are always the most important things. Yeah. Which is what you still have from that whole London experience. Yeah. So what you're saying is 2021, males and two cartoons back on the circuit. Reunion Look, if, tour. Fucking Angus, yeah. if yeah. Angus wants it to happen, I'm sure we could relearn some songs. He, but I'm sure he can still make posters. That, dude? No one, who the fuck was like, do you know what? We want a fucking two cartoons. <laughs> 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 you know, because we should do some quick shouts before we catch up. That band, two cartoons obviously ended. Um, because we'd kind of done everything we wanted to do. There's, yeah. there's people, there's traffic. I think for me is like the perfect ultimate two cartoon song of what we were always trying to do, I think. And Eddie Castello, um, who recorded it, uh, made that happen. And that was, it felt right. Um, I was really sick of being in a band and playing live shows and stuff. But more importantly for me, Brad, I, I truly believe you need like, space not you but everyone needs needs to make space in their lives to fill it with the new thing if you don't if you're too busy doing the same thing and you don't have any space you're not gonna move forward to the next thing because there's no room and brad with his band mini simmons and also mm. with the flamingo pier stuff like he was hitting that point where it's like some of this is gonna have to go and for me it was like two cartoons is the obvious choice in all of this like that's where the space is going to be created. That can be filled by either Mini Simmons or can be filled by Flamingo Pearl. It can be, God forbid, filled with a social life for Brad. <laughs> you know what? Here's something. <laughs> yeah. I always get PR stuff for Mini Simmons and nothing for Flamingo Pear. Does Flamingo Pear just not need the advertising? Not really. It that's doesn't. awesome. Isn't that's that really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's. Well, Luke gets it for free on this podcast. This is the second one in a row. Yeah, that's, many, that's, we mention it's, him. it's an interesting one if, if you want to like touch on that, which is Flamingo Pier started in London in the cafe that I was working at as a club night. Um, and then it was like, well, we'll DJ under that name as well. And then it was, uh, okay, let's do a festival in Waiheke and use the same name as well, which probably popular made it super popular in in Auckland at least because all the yeah. people involved were New Zealanders and the, they would come the name back to at least Waiheke so everyone yeah. associated that name with this like fucking epic party on Waiheke and we were still DJing under that name and then I think we'd started to release music under that same name as well so th it was just kind of like always thrown around so people either thought it was a party or DJs or a band where it's like, it actually is all of those things. I thought it was an actual place on Waiheke Island. Yeah, great. Like, That's even better. Yeah. Um, so it kind of worked beautifully in, the, in that sense. And that band has um, 
like it's signed to a, a label in the UK, Soundway. So like in terms of like PR for the music side, like they kind of handle that. Um, Luke does all the sort of like festival stuff. Um, and so, the branding yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it's like, it's this amalgamation of things, which I'm like very, very lucky to be a part of. And it was one of those beautiful moments where like we had downtime in London because we weren't doing two cartoon stuff. And I was like, how can I fill my time? And I was like- oh, How about music? That's I was like, oh, I'll go and like, yeah, exactly right. Like <laughs> do this shit in the band that I'm supposed to be doing or like I'll join another band and like start making music with them. I was living with those guys. So like it was easy. And so I started DJing more and doing all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was, it just kind of flowed on. But yeah, that's a, a weird thing where like that, wouldn't have happened or I wouldn't have been involved with it had I not gone to London with two cartoons. Yeah. And and the, all the shit I'm doing with the Harko stuff in the moment, like this podcast, um, the, the interviews and the music and how it was all just kind of under one is like a direct inspiration and, and link from seeing Luke and Brad and Flamingo Pear do with their structure and what they do. Like, it's the, yeah, it's all just one whole thing that comes from that experience, really. That's that's really nice. Um hmm. You guys are very engaging and witty and have so many good things to say, but I do feel like uh, the listeners, your, your, your dedicated listeners have been dedicated to this for a very long time. Yeah. 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 Hey, yeah. Hey, this one might be maybe. edited. Look, it's not going to be edited. This is just a special. Director's cut. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Josie, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening. Um, it is the end of the year and... Benji and I uh, were going to be away and we just really wanted to um, have a little break and have some fun. And I wanted to, personally, I wanted to have some, some shit for me. You know what I mean? Like it was, uh, there was some like a little bit of self-serving stuff in here because, you know, it is part of my life, but I think it is a really interesting story that needed to be told. But also I really wanted to sit down with, Josie and have an excuse to sit down with Brad as well where I it, it, it wasn't going to be in a context of Mini Simmons where I would just be talking about Mini Simmons all the time because there's a lot to talk about with them as well. Mm. Um, and it's just my fucking platform. <laughs> Honestly, like this is the whole thing. And like this is what's so much better than for me. If you're a person who's listened to all this and gone, oh my God, this whole record label music industry thing is like crazy and I don't know how to get PR or management and all this shit, like... The whole point of this and what I'm doing is to show you that you don't actually need any of that crap if you don't want to do what they, what the outcomes that they want you to have. If you don't want to be like Taylor Swift, um, if you don't want to be like Benny and be everywhere all the time and play these huge shows, you just want to do some fun shit and hang out with fun people, like this is kind of the proof that you can just do that because this podcast has been fucking fun. I've met some of my favorite people. I get to sit on a couch and drink beers with my friends now. You're listening to it. I'm speaking to you. <laughs> it's crazy. And you could fucking do it right now. You could do it tomorrow. You could do it next week. You could start, you could wait January the 1st if you want. Just like go do your shit. Because this is fucking easy, isn't it, Josie? It's, it's been very easy. There you yeah. go, Brad. It's easy, isn't it? It's super easy. Yeah, look. And just, just look, one, one last bit of advice. Just watch everything that Luke Walker and Flamingo Bear do. And then try and do your version of that because they're fucking killer. <laughs> Um, and uh, thank you. I think um, there's one more. I think next week after this uh, will be an extra special episode where uh, me and producer Benji will be on the couch and we'll be wrapping up the whole 
first year of the podcast and talking about how it's going. So we hope you come along then. And if you're a bit bored by all this meta shit and don't want to listen to me, um, the guests will resume uh, very soon, I'm sure. Brad, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Isaac. So it's nice, nice to hang out. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Josie, thank you for coming. Thanks, thanks for, for having Thanks me. for facilitating this. Yes. Because otherwise me. this would have really just... I don't know that where it would have gone. That would have got gone. pretty dark, yeah. <laughs> it, it, honestly, it would have, we, we would have mentioned Soul Wax 10 minutes in and then just talked about how yeah. great um, yeah. part of the no. Weekend Never Dies documentary is. So. I'm the Soul Wax veto officer. <laughs> yeah, good. Good. All right. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you soon. Love it.